everyone, I'm Pranoti, host of Under the Microscope. This series is brought to you by the Real Scientists Nano team. Our goal is to provide a platform where scientists can communicate their work and interact with the public. With that in mind, every week we introduce you to a scientist working in the field of materials or nanoscience, who tweets from the Real Scientists Nano Twitter account, which is realsci underscore nano. Hi everyone, I'm Pranoti. I am your host of Under the Microscope podcast series and today we have with us Alexandra Brumberg, who is a postdoctoral researcher at the University of California, Berkeley. Hi Alexandra, how are you? Hi Pranoti, I'm good, how are you? I'm good. After recording the short podcast, I'm really, really, really excited to speak with you, take a deeper dive in this longer podcast and extended conversation with you. So let's let's uh, start by understanding your career so far. So how did you end up at uh, at Berkeley as a postdoc? Please tell us. Uh, okay. So how did I end up as a postdoc at Berkeley? Was the question. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so actually, I, I guess I have not uh, that uncommon of a situation in academia anymore. But my husband and I are both researchers. And so when we were applying for postdocs, we were trying to get a position together. And so we both applied for postdoctoral fellowships together. Um, and he actually ended up landing one at the University of California. Um, so he's a Miller fellow here. Um, And I had also applied and uh, kind of expressed my interest at working with uh, Ting Shu. So, yeah, so I had expressed my interest in working with Ting Shu and uh, written some fellowship applications with her. Um, And even though those didn't end up panning out, um, she was still willing to hire me. And so both me and my husband were uh, able to come to Berkeley together. That sounds amazing. Wow. It, it does. You're, you're really lucky that it worked out very well for both of you, because oftentimes it's either one of the partners uh, gets uh, gets a position and the other one has to wait a few months or so, or sometimes doesn't even get one. But I guess in Berkeley, uh, considering, well, if I may ask your husband, which area is he working in? So he did his PhD in chemical engineering, and uh, like me, he's also now doing a a postdoc in materials science. Um, So, yeah, so we kind of have uh, somewhat similar interests, but like not really because he's a he's a computational chemist. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Just to understand, because if the fields are completely different, oftentimes in smaller towns or smaller cities, it's a bit difficult. But I'm glad you both uh, managed to find a position. Um, your your current research, Alexandra, you're you're doing a postdoc now. Um, where does it fit in this big picture of materials and nanoscience? Because it is quite a broad field. Yeah, so um, so in my within my postdoctoral research, um, um, it is very materials focused, um, and definitely I think the group is often interested in like materials properties. Um, but so the reason that I'm here is because I was really interested in looking at nanoparticles self assembly. Um, so I think this is kind of a really uh, big area in the field of nanoscience right now um, because when you organize 
or assemble nanoparticles, you can get um, emergent properties. So what that basically means is that nanoparticles on their own might have like one type of property, but when you assemble them into like a bigger grouping where there's some sort of periodic pattern, you get some other type of property that the individual nanoparticles don't exhibit on their own. And so um, this is really unique. It's kind of, a, it's a way of creating kind of new materials properties um, and chemical properties. Um, and so this is something that I wanted to learn how to do. Um, and, you know, so one of the way that, one of the ways in which you can guide nanoparticle self-assembly is using polymers. Um, and so that's kind of how I ended up here. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So have you always also during your PhD, did you also work on the self-assembly nanoparticles or was that like a shift? No. So it was a really big shift. Yeah. So in my PhD, I, I really did very little work with nanoparticles. So um, we were a spectroscopy lab. So I was um, really just measuring the nanoparticle properties. Um, and like I said, it was more focused on electronic properties rather than structural properties. Um, and so really for my postdoc, that's um, kind of, I mean, I made a really big switch, but that's kind of why I was interested in making it was for my faculty position, if I get one, what I'd really like to be able to do is both be able to make and measure materials. So kind of be able to make interesting novel materials and then like measure their responses and see. Um, I, I really would like to be able to use external stimuli. So some of the things that I talked about, not necessarily magnets or sound waves, but um, I'm more interested in using light as an external stimulus. Um, use light to induce structural responses that lead to um, optoelectronic responses in the materials. So I think these things are all kind of interconnected. And so it might seem like my path is a little bit wonky, but I think that there's like a bigger plan that I have at the end. It, it makes complete sense. It's all it's all connected. It all comes down to the materials and their shape or like their properties. So I play with nanomaterials and want to poke them, want to see what they do when you shine light on them, when you put magnetic field around them, when you yeah. put current through. You basically want to do everything with nanomaterials. Can we just say that? that you want? Yes, to exactly. I have a lot of different interests. <laughs> exactly. Let's go with that. And not just play with the nanomaterials, but you also want to prepare the nanomaterials. Um, yeah. So like the whole whole thing. Okay, excellent. That sounds really really cool. Um, and your your PhD work and also your current research, it sounds very very interesting. Um, so this is a mean question. Okay, I know before asking this, just just a heads up. If you have to pick one research project that you're most proud of or the most fun or quirky one. Uh, could you pick one and explain it to us in uh, in simple words in the section we call in other words? Yeah. Um, so yeah, there was this one project that I did in my uh, in my PhD that I I feel like was a lot of fun, but but really challenging. Um, I started it in my first year, and it kind of continued through uh, my second and my third year. Um, where I got to go to the National High Magnetic Field Lab in Los Alamos, New Mexico. Wow. Um, and what 
what they do there is they basically have really, really powerful magnets. Uh, and so what we were doing was trying to understand the size of the exciton in these uh, rectangular shaped nanoparticles that I was working with. Um, so the exciton is basically the um, electron hole pair in the nanoparticles. So it's basically this positive and negative charge in a nanoplatelet. Um, and by passing the magnetic field through the nanoplatelet, we could get a sense of that. Um, but we needed these really powerful magnetic fields to do it. And the reason that the project was so challenging was because there were a lot of different components to it. So there was an aspect of um, sample prep to it where we had to basically align these nanoparticles, um, kind of orient them to make sure that they were all aligned perpendicular um, relative to the magnetic field. And that kind of took a lot of uh, chemistry knowledge. And then there was kind of the more like physical component of actually getting all of the sample loaded into the magnet. And um, because these are high magnetic fields, there are these giant magnets. You have to cool them down to four Kelvin. It sounds like a gun when it goes off. Like it's just, I mean, there are these really cool user facilities. Um, but it was a kind of a, a high, a very stressful environment to be in because you have, you know, one week to go out there and get your experiment done. Um, and then you're doing all of your data processing on the fly. So I had to kind of code a script up in MATLAB to make sure that all of our data processing was getting done as we were doing all of these other things as well. And then when we actually got back to Northwestern, um, actually figuring out what was going on required kind of learning a bunch of physics that I wasn't really familiar with. So this project was kind of at the intersection of like chemistry and physics and material science. So I, I really felt like it was, you know, at the edge of all of these different fields. And at, as a result, I kind of felt like I wasn't good at any of them. Oh, no. <laughs> um, but when it was like finally published, I really felt like it was a really cool piece of work because it combined all of these different aspects. Um, and so it's something that I'm really proud of as a result of that. That sounds amazing. And yes, it is very, very, it's like beam time, right? It's very, very <laughs> stressful. That's You're exactly what it's like, yeah. 24 hour shifts. I mean, not really, it depends on the group and the experiments you want to do. But that sounds like, a really cool research project. I hope you have lots of pictures from the facility if you're allowed to take pictures uh, and you can show them uh, while you're taking care, uh, tweeting from the Twitter account. Yeah, I I don't have pictures that I took, but I have like, if you, I have some that I can pull from Google images that I showed people of what it looked like because um, if you know what an NMR machine looks like, it's kind of like that, but like bigger. <laughs> oh my God, bigger than an NMR? Oh God, that is, whew. NMRs are in these giant warehouses. Um, that's what I remember. Uh, but yeah, looking forward to those pictures. And um, so Alexandra, after speaking with you uh, so far, I have the feeling that you really enjoy the research aspect of being a scientist, but there are also a lot of other things that come along with being a scientist. So what else do you enjoy? Yeah, so one of the other things that I really enjoy is um, doing outreach. Um, and so I've been involved in a lot of different outreach efforts um, both in undergrad and in grad school, um, and now as well as a postdoc at UC Berkeley. Um, so one of the ones that 
I'm the most passionate about. And if you follow me on Twitter, you definitely see me post about it before is I'm on the advisory board of this nonprofit called Letters to a Pre-Scientist, where basically um, we work with middle school classrooms where we match uh, the students with uh, professional uh, scientists as pen pals, and then they write letters back and forth to each other throughout the school year. Um, and I feel like it's a really effective program because oftentimes when you do science outreach, it's like, you go to a classroom and you do some sort of science demo and then you kind of just leave and you never see the students again. And so it's kind of this one-time thing. Um, but with letters to a pre-scientist, you get this interaction that lasts like a full school year. And so you really um, get to work with the students more long-term and it's really individualized, right? So like each kid gets matched with a, scient a scientist who's chosen specifically for their interests, right? So it's like, we match someone who likes video games with someone else who likes video games and then they get really excited to talk about video games because they didn't know that scientists like to play video games too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I've really enjoyed being a part of this outreach organization. Um, I've been on the advisory board for four years now uh, and yeah I mean it's just been something that's been really fulfilling and it's been really awesome also to like watch the program grow. So I started when I think it was only working in like 12 different classrooms and next year we're going to be working in 50 classrooms. Oh, that, that sounds so cool. Oh my God. I would have loved to write letters with a scientist when I was a kid. Uh, yeah. That sounds amazing. And ask all kinds of questions, which, because in my head, I remember scientists when I was growing up, scientists were like, oh my God, they know everything. They know everything. They know how to code. They know how to uh, do blood tests, like everything, you know, in the movies and these really cool scientists and they can make a robot and they can make uh, everything. Ah. <laughs> That's like one of the goals of the program is to humanize scientists and like help these kids realize that like, you know, we're just people too. And like, on the one hand, like we are really cool because like we do know a lot, but we also don't know everything. And so like, it's okay for them to feel like you know, they don't have to feel like they have to know everything in order to become a scientist because like we don't know everything either. Um, and so I feel like that's really important because otherwise it can feel like it's, you know, impossible to become a scientist, but actually like, no, it's, it's possible. And like, if you have this interest, then you can go ahead and do it. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Alexandra, um, if you if you were to start out today, like speaking of uh, kids and everything, uh, if you were to start your science scientist journey today, what advice would you give yourself, or uh, what advice would you give to uh, scientists who are starting out today? Yeah. So, um, the advice I do give people all the time is that. Um, it's really important to make sure that the advisor that you choose is someone that you really connect with. So I think often, you know, when graduate students are choosing their lab, they're really focused on making sure to find like the perfect research fit. Um, and I definitely think that like research is important to think about. Um, but the thing that I like to point out is that I think like we're in science because we're already curious about things and like, as long as you're like, you're not going to join a lab that's like 
totally the opposite of what you would want to do, right? So like if you're a physical chemist, like you're not going to join an organic synthesis lab, right? But like, but, but like as long as you're looking in like roughly an area that you're interested in, chances are you're going to be able to work on the science that is present in a bunch of different labs. But I think my experience has been, and I think this is true for a lot of people, it's really hard to kind of force a connection with somebody that isn't a good mentor that you don't really connect with naturally. Um, versus it's, I think, really easy to fall in love with a lot of different types of science. Like that's, we're naturally curious people and like that's what we're in science for. And so I think that um, there, I think that like there should be a lot more focus place in like making sure that you find a good fit for you in terms of an advisor and a research group rather than finding like that perfect research question, you know? Um, and I was like really lucky in my undergraduate, I kind of like ended up in the right lab by chance. Um, but for graduate school, like that's exactly what I did. I kind of chose my lab purely based on my advisor. Um, and I think it really worked out for me. Um, I, I had a really good fit with my advisor and I knew that the way that he mentored and that the way that he kind of gave us a lot of projects was exactly like how I liked to do science. And that made my graduate experience a lot more enjoyable than a lot of my other peers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very, very, very sound pieces of advice there. That sounds really uh, good. And thank you very much for sharing that. Um, Alexandra, I, it sounds to me that your research experience so far has been wonderful, and I hope it will continue to be wonderful in the future as well. However, if you had three wishes to improve your research experience, what would you ask for? And I'm not promising anything here, okay? Yeah, well, yeah, I think, like, I think my, my postdoc research experience hasn't been necessarily as positive, I think, in part because I made such a big switch. Um, and I think maybe I made like too big of a switch. <laughs> um, but yeah, so right now I'm actually looking for a new postdoc position. So I kind of had, I'll have like one year in this research lab, but then after that, like I'll be switching. And so I'm hopeful that like I'll be able to find a new lab that uh, will work out really well and that there will be kind of a, as good a research fit as I had for my grad work. <laughs> um, and then like looking ahead to my faculty position, um, as I said, like I, I came to UC Berkeley with my husband and uh, so for the faculty job search, we're going to have to find two positions and I think that's something that's really challenging. Um, it, there's obviously success stories, but there's also a lot of stories of people who didn't necessarily have the easiest time going through it. Mm -hmm. So that's something that's, um, I think, really stressful and has been really nerve wracking and on our minds a lot lately. So um, I think, you know, if we could just be guaranteed a dual hire, <laughs> that would be amazing. And then I think the eternal wish for all researchers is just to have uh, unlimited time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if I could just get everything done um, perfectly uh, and, yeah, just not have to sacrifice anything for anything else, that would be great. That That is absolutely. I, I completely agree with you there. And 
all three actually are realistic wishes, including I would say the third one, which is more. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they are quite realistic. I hope I hope you get a um, you find a postdoc position or a faculty position um, that you want. I hope uh, you get one, and I hope your husband also gets uh, a position if it is somewhere not in Berkeley, not in uh, California or so, not nearby, basically. I, I really hope that happens. And hopefully then we can have you on the podcast again uh, when you are in your new role. Uh, that would be awesome. Um, I have really enjoyed our conversation. Get to know you, get to know your research. But before I let you go, I have one last question for you, Alexandra, and that is, what are your learnings from this different era, the new era that we are living in, which kick-started at the beginning of 2020? Yeah, I I tried to think of a good answer for this, and I didn't really have one aside from just wearing a mask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely don't go into work when you're sick. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I guess more seriously, I think it has um, shown us that, you know, you can take time off to relax if you need to um I was always surprised by that I think when I was a kid that like you know you can get sick and take a few days off and like the world doesn't stop you know and I think that that's something that like we can keep in mind as researchers you know that like if you you know are feeling overwhelmed or if you get sick like you are allowed to take a day or two off and it'll be okay um Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, that's that's a very good point. And I think we should remember that uh, even if it seems like we're at the end of the pandemic, but for other uh, health, uh, any kind of illnesses, physical or mental, I think we should definitely remember that, that the world does not stop. It did stop. The whole world stopped. And then that is true. <laughs> Yeah, well, thank you very much, Alexandra. As I said, this has been lovely and looking forward to having you on Real Scientist Nano. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. Thank you for listening. I also want to thank my team, Johanna, who is our news editor and curator liaison, Swenya, who is our podcast engineer and curator liaison, Lucia, who is our media and website coordinator, and myself, Pranati, being the owner of the Science Talk and host of Under the Microscope. To know more about us, visit our website, thesciencetalk.com, and follow us on Twitter at realsci underscore nano.